You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's February 11th. In November, RAND surveyed school district leaders about problems facing America's schools. Their top three concerns were mental health, mental health, and mental health of students, teachers, and principals, respectively. Here are some other key findings. Three quarters of district leaders said that political polarization about COVID-19 safety or vaccines was interfering with their ability to educate students. 43% said the same about polarization related to critical race theory. Compared with other school district leaders, roughly two to three times more leaders from urban districts, high-poverty districts, and districts serving mostly students of color expressed major concerns about declined enrollment and low student and teacher attendance. What can be done to help ease the burden on educators and students? RAND researchers recommend that districts consider creating contingency plans that reflect ongoing staff shortages investigate alternative staffing arrangements, plan for the possibility of continued enrollment declines, develop in-person school COVID-19 safety policies, and start planning for future pandemics. Since the end of the Cold War, the U.S. has encouraged former Soviet republics to distance themselves from Moscow and deepen ties with the West. The goal, strengthen the independence of these states while preventing a new Eurasian superpower from emerging out of the rubble of the Soviet Union. According to Rand's Samuel Cherup, this strategy may have worked too well. Quote, Many former Soviet republics, and especially Ukraine, now want to join the Western camp, and Russia is prepared to go to war to stop them. Cherup says that the current crisis over Ukraine is the latest and most obvious indication that America's continued pursuit of this strategy is risky for the U.S. and its allies, and particularly for Russia's neighbors, Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova, Armenia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan. So what might be done to stop the cycle of conflict in Russia's backyard? Cherup says that all parties involved, Russia, the U.S., Europe, and the states stuck in between them, must reach an agreement on the norms, institutions, and rules that should govern interactions in the region. Until this happens, Russia and the U.S. and its allies are destined to keep clashing over the status of these former Soviet republics. When China kicked off the Winter Olympics in Beijing last week, it selected two athletes, one of whom is reportedly a Uyghur from the Xinjiang region, to light the Olympic cauldron. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, called this an attempt to distract from China's human rights abuses of the Uyghur people, an issue that RAND researchers have been studying long before the Olympics. Evidence from their recent analysis suggested that Uyghur detention camps, which Beijing claimed were closed, remained open and active. RAND researchers analyzed satellite images and discovered bright-lit compounds barbed wire, and even saw a sudden rush to build what appeared to be fortified preschools. Additionally, they saw patterns of lighting that suggested construction work 
and new prisons or detention centers, as well as evidence of destroyed Uyghur cemeteries. This satellite data provided a bird's-eye view of what was happening in Xinjiang, which Beijing has turned into a sophisticated surveillance state. Rand researcher Edmund Burke, who reviewed the images, said, quote, You see stories about one particular camp, or hear one harrowing account from someone who got out of Xinjiang. We realized we could advance those stories and help provide a broader account of what is happening there. The Commission on Combating Synthetic Opioid Trafficking was established under the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2020. This government commission was charged with developing a consensus on a strategic approach to combat the illegal flow of fentanyl and other synthetic opioids into the U.S. Rand experts supported this commission in its research, analysis, and report writing, and the final report, released this week, examines challenges in preventing the illegal manufacturing and trafficking of synthetic opioids, considers deficiencies in countering their production and distribution, and identifies actions that could help address the overdose crisis, which claimed the lives of more than 100,000 Americans between June 2020 and May 2021. Rand's Bryce Pardo discussed some of the difficulties in tackling this problem on NPR's Morning Edition. That's a very tricky uh, proposal. We, we in, the, in the commission's report, the, the commission looks at this from many different angles. And on the supply side, things like trying to get China to do a better job regulating its large chemical and pharmaceutical sectors, which are the largest in the world, um, working with Mexico to improve container shipments at ports of entry, uh, to work to, to target some of the, the clandestine pill manufacturing labs. But ultimately, the commission realized that this is going to be a, a much trickier uh, problem to solve through the supply side lens and needed to really boost more of the responses on the demand side. So doing things like increasing the access to medications used to treat opioid use disorder, uh, reducing barriers to those access, um, promoting kind of recovery in the workplace, reducing stigma for drug use, and also things like harm reduction, which we recognize are, are going to be a growing, a growing uh, part of the kind of toolkit response to this problem. To learn more about this issue and to read the commission's full report, Visit Rand.org. Americans' incomes can vary a lot from month to month. Swings as large as 50% are not uncommon. Such income volatility can lead many families to continually rise above and dip below the federal poverty level. Consider this. Anywhere from 30 to 40% of Americans could become poor but aren't poor this month. Similarly, many who are poor this month or this year won't be poor in the next. According to Rand's Catherine Edwards, this economic reality means that families in need often struggle to get help from government programs. Most of these programs are based on reported income during application to direct money to those perceived as the neediest. So if poverty strikes a family quickly, as it often does, benefits may not be available to them right away. This was not the case, however, with the expanded child tax credit, which began last July and lapsed in December. This program paid part of the benefit monthly, in advance, to all parents. The average paid out to families was close to $400, not enough to live on, but just enough to insulate children from their parents' income volatility. 
In effect, Edward says, this was an acknowledgement that the government can't get money to children in need as fast as the labor market creates them. The trade-off is that money goes to families that aren't in acute need. But this was also happening before the expansion, she says. Edwards emphasizes that all policies have trade-offs. And these trade-offs can be measured in dollars, but also in efficacy. Quote, The expansion of the child tax credit was modern in that it recognized how volatile incomes can undermine the effectiveness of anti-poverty measures. The U.S. can retreat from a particular solution, but not from that problem. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered in this episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.